0: affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day.
1: Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic,
0: empowering, online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. Before we get started, we would like to invite you to leave a review for this podcast in iTunes. It's a brand new show, and it's really important in the launch of a new podcast to gather reviews. Will you please help us spread the word by leaving a review so that more mamas have a chance of finding this podcast when they search for one?
0: We read every single review and we promise to keep doing that. We love what everyone, all of you ladies have been saying about the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast here with My Essential Birth. So thank you everyone for your continued support. This episode with Sally Wright, IBCLC, was so much fun to record. Um, Before we get started, we have to tell you that this week, My Essential Birth is doing a giveaway, and so we are going to give one free copy of The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding to one of our listeners. So in order to enter for this giveaway, all you have to do is head to iTunes, give us a review on there, and then send us either a DM or an email at hello at myessentialbirth, and let us know your username that you used for the review, and we will enter it into the raffle this week and announce it on Instagram. The other thing I need to mention really quick is, because of this whole COVID-19, not being able to be in person and have the best recording equipment for these interviews, towards the end you'll notice it sounds like things are overlapping, and for whatever reason the recording was just a little weird. So you'll notice I'm talking at the same time as Sally is, Neither of us are being rude. It's just the way that it recorded um, and edited. So we apologize for that. But we really hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi, mamas. We are so excited this week to bring to you our breastfeeding podcast. Um, We have with us Sally Wright, and she is an IBCLC, which is an international board certified lactation consultant. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about what that is in just a moment. But she is with Mother Fed right here in Utah in downtown Salt Lake City. um, And she's going to tell us all the things about breastfeeding. This specific episode is going to focus on the first week of breastfeeding, which we know we get tons of questions from you guys all in our DMs or our emails, you did the thing, you gave birth, you have your BB and now what? So we wanted to bring in a professional since this is not our expertise, but she has that expertise. So Sally, will you take a moment and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about, about why you love breastfeeding so much, what an IBCLC is, how many kids you have, just let us give us a little information about you.
2: Okay. Hi, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so I'm Sally Wright. And I am in private practice with Mother Fed in downtown Salt Lake. Um, I am an international board-certified lactation consultant. Um, I have five children. I have three singleton boys and then a set of girl-boy twins. So we sometimes joke that we did get a little girl. She just came with another brother. (laughs) Um, And I'm really glad that I have twins. I see lots of twins in practice now. Twins are... And um, even higher order multiples are just my favorites, Um, not just because the babies are my favorites, but because those those families and those parents are my very favorites. And they made me a lot better at my job, having my own set of twins. I was a newspaper reporter before my children came. My first son was sick as a newborn. And so we spent some time, I I don't want to say we did time, but we kind of felt like that sometimes. We did time at Primary Children's Hospital, um, waiting for him to get well. And after discharge, I still had questions about breastfeeding. It was the lactation department at Primary Children's that first referred me to La Leche League, which is a nonprofit organization devoted to breastfeeding support. And we can talk more about La Leche League later. But that was my my first contact with breastfeeding support and having having someone who um, had reliable and accurate answers for my questions that were supportive of breastfeeding. Um, the volunteer, the leader who picked up the phone the day that I called crying completely changed my life. Um, and attending a meeting was life altering for me, too, because I really found my people. I found um, other women who were invested in their relationships with their children who were interested in making deliberate choices and who saw breastfeeding not just as a calorie delivery method, but as um, part of their developing relationship with their with their child. So I famously pulled out of my driveway and said to my husband, I'm going to this Leche League meeting, um, but I won't be gone long. I don't know if it's going to be weird, but they were nice to me on the phone. So I, but I, I I'll be back pretty soon, because there's not that much to say about breastfeeding, right? And um, we laugh about it now, because that was almost 18 years ago. And I have not stopped talking about breastfeeding since. So (laughs) Apparently, apparently there's a lot more to breastfeeding than I initially imagined when I went to my first La Leche League meeting. Um, I became a La Leche League leader a couple years after my first son was born. And then... Fast forward many years later, when after my twins were becoming toddlers, and we were approaching the end of our breastfeeding journey with them, I realized that even though my babies were weaning, I personally was not outgrowing um, the enjoyment that I had from offering breastfeeding support. So I told my family that I needed to go pro. That I had been doing volunteer work for a long time, but I wanted to take it up a notch and and um, get the clinical skills that I needed to be an international board-certified lactation consultant, an IBCLC. So I went back to school for my health science requirements and, um, and studied for the exam and prepared for the exam and um, credentialed in 2016. And uh, then I joined MotherFed and uh, I still collaborate. I work with MotherFed with three other IBCLCs and we, we share a practice together. So that's a little bit about the background for me personally. Um, as for what an i b c l c is, I think of breastfeeding supporters as kind of on a a spectrum um the i b c l c has the most academic credentials, the most experience and the and the highest level of academic credential to support anyone on their breastfeeding journey now there's lots of terms that lay people use like lactation specialist or lactation nurse. And these are not actually credentials. These are just things people say. Um, when you say lactation consultant, you actually mean an IBCLC, um, your sister-in-law or your or the nice nurse at the hospital who nursed her 14 children, they might be awesome, awesome helpers and they might be exactly who you connect with and who gives you the support and information that you need. But there isn't anything particular about their credential that says that they will. Um, There's some other credentials, too, like a CLC, a certified lactation counselor, or a CLEC, a certified lactation educator and counselor. Um, Those are lower level credentials that don't take as much time as the IBCLC does. And IBCLC needs to have at least a thousand contact hours working with nursing parents and babies even before sitting the exam. And, and most of those other credentials are like three or four day classes with a brief exam at the end. Uh, so it's, it's not the same thing as being able to offer uh, clinical care. However, that doesn't mean that they're not incredibly useful. Um, La Leche League leaders fall in this as well. La Leche League leaders are volunteer leaders who are accredited through La Leche League to offer information and support that's always free and friendly and they don't, they do not provide clinical care, but I have never met a devoted, the Leche League leader who did not really know her stuff about breastfeeding. Um, and I, I know lots that I would gladly refer to, uh, to, to offer people the support that they need to get s- started with a successful breastfeeding journey. So there's a whole spectrum of breastfeeding helpers. If you're really hitting complicated challenges and speed bumps, it's time to bring in the IBCLC, who can really assess your health history um, and work as an allied healthcare professional to give you the clinical care that you need to really troubleshoot your challenges and get back to enjoying your baby.
0: That's perfect. Um, we just take a moment. This is something that I find as a doula comes up a lot, but I also feel like, especially with coronavirus, we've got this COVID 19 going on right mm-hmm. now. Um, we're getting a lot of DMs or questions for. Women that are concerned about how do I stand up for myself or speak up for myself when they have somebody called a lactation consultant at the hospital that comes in and says, we're going to give your baby a bottle or we're going to do formula right now instead of the express breast milk while they're away from you in the nursery or the NICU, or how do they stand up for themselves, I think is the question that I feel like we're getting the most, especially right now. affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day.
2: That is so stressful for families because these are, it's so cliche to say now, but these are really challenging and complicated times that we're in. And it's, it's an unprecedented set of challenges. Um, one that even the most thoughtful family has not anticipated dealing with. And now it's upon us. I think uh, still some of the strategies that we've always used uh, come into play here. Your baby is your baby. Everyone at the hospital is your staff. You have hired them to help you and you can absolutely consider their input, but whether or not you consent is ultimately up to you. Um, so I think being able to ask questions and say, oh, that's the protocol you suggest. Help me understand where that's coming from. Why do you want to do that? And what would happen if we didn't? And you may hear really thoughtful answers that that sound good, that, that make you say, oh, okay, that's very reasonable. They're concerned about the levels. My baby's blood sugar levels are this, and they should be this so i see why what they're going for or you may hear things that don't make you comfortable at all and make you say you know i don't feel good about that i would like to continue with what i'm doing and we can we can revisit that uh tomorrow morning or later this afternoon uh before we proceed with that protocol or you know i want to talk to my pediatrician before we move forward with that but thank you for your insight i appreciate knowing more about your suggestion you don't you don't have to just roll over and even the idea of someone coming into your hospital room and announcing what they're going to do, um, is not as respectful as, as it should be as what new families deserve to, so for them to come for any, any hospital staff member to come in and announce that we're going to do this to your baby. Um, you can say, okay, I want to know more about that before I consent to that. And, um, And you can say, too, could you please chart that I declined that? Or can you please chart that I asked for a different protocol and you declined to give it to me? And sometimes calling people out and asking them to chart something specifically, can you please put that in my record so I can talk about that with my my doctor tomorrow, Um, will sometimes help staff reconsider and offer you more options. And this is not to suggest that we need to be combative or unpleasant when dealing with people who are usually really well-intentioned and want to help. Um, but you can stand up for yourself and be clear about what you consent to and what you need to know more about before you feel comfortable consenting at all. I really love the way that you put that, and it's true. We
0: talk about that even in the birth space. How important it is to not be combative and to understand that these, these people in our birth space are really wanting the best for us, coming from the information and training that they have. Right. Okay. So you mentioned Lelachee Week. Will you just take a moment and talk about that for our mom?
2: Yeah, La Leche League is one of my most favorite things. Um, La Leche League is a nonprofit, nonsectarian organization devoted to supporting breastfeeding families. Um, It was founded near Chicago, Illinois in 1956 by seven mothers. Um, It's now in over 60 countries and has a seat at the table in helping to create um, infant feeding policy all over the world uh, with UNICEF, with the World Health Organization. And yet this, the focus started with and remains uh, mother-to-mother support and family support for any family who wants to breastfeed. Uh, La Leche League offers in-person support at meetings, and that usually means virtual meetings right now to keep everyone safe with the COVID-19 situation. La Leche League also offers telephone help and um, online support. We've got lots of Facebook groups and La Leche League is on Instagram as well. You can find La Leche League International. You can find um, state groups of La Leche League. I highly, highly recommend that any expectant person contact their local La Leche League group. And just a word about the name, because I often get calls with people saying, what is this La Leche thing you do? because people are unfamiliar with the, the words La Leche, but it's L-E-C-H-E, and that's the Spanish word for milk. Um, la Leche League was founded at a time when breastfeeding rates in the U.S. were at an all-time low, and it was, it was a time in our history when people were uncomfortable saying, you know, it, was, it was considered inappropriate to come out and say breastfeeding. Um, it would you know, scandalize people um, in 1956. And so the seven women that founded it had a Catholic background and were familiar with um, honoring the Virgin Mary. And so their idea of milk and Mary um, came out to be um, kind of this coded way to say breastfeeding, to use the Spanish word for the milk. Now, La Leche League is completely non-sectarian and not religious in the least, but um, that's, those are the roots of the name and the organization. So La Leche League is about the milk. You can. Um, Oh, I should recommend, too, that you can find contact information in Utah um, for La Leche League of Utah at LLLUtah.org. Or internationally, you can go on the international website and find contact information for uh, La Leche League leader in any state or country at LLLI.org um, for La Leche League International. I, I highly recommend La Leche League contact both for trouble and for fun. You don't have to be having a breastfeeding crisis to reach out to La Leche League. Uh, That's where I have found some of my most wonderful friends. And it was great to be able to have a a mothering community and a nursing community right from the get-go. Yeah, I think it's an underused resource that that more people should be aware of.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Absolutely underused. I think Kind of my favorite part of being a part of like lalechi league or just a group like that when you walk in um and you'll find yourself doing it too just like with the birthing community where we're like surround yourself with other women who have done this yes. before and have a positive experience and it's just like that you walk in and you, it's a bunch of women who are breastfeeding or have breastfed and then walked through some of these trials successfully not only are you seeing them on the other side of that or walking through them, but then they, they feel empowered to be able to say, I've had this issue and here's, I've heard the issue that you have had. Here's what I did. Give this a try. All of a sudden you just feel part of a bigger community. Absolutely.
2: And parenting and motherhood are such universal experiences and yet they are so incredibly isolating. And when you walk into a La Leche League meeting, whether it's literally walking in physically or even just jumping in on one of our virtual meetings now, you instantly feel part of a welcoming community. And um, we work really hard to make sure that we are supportive and meet families wherever they happen to be in their breastfeeding journey and whatever struggles they happen to be working through, um, whatever they're working on, La Leche League is absolutely here for you. Um, I, this is my 14th year of being a La Leche League leader. And because I didn't stop that volunteer work uh when I when I certified as an IBCLC um it's they're two different scopes but I but I I don't think I'll ever be able to retire from the Leche League I it's too it's too valuable of a community resource um and I'm so pleased to be part of it
0: and I, I feel like that's a fun tip too so I don't know if it's like this in every state but I will say every La Leche League meeting that I've been to here in Utah is run by or have an IBCLC in it, and no, they don't wear that hat, just like you said. But you are getting information about breastfeeding from a professional, which I think is incredible. Yeah, so
2: to to accredit as a La Leche League leader, someone needs to have nursed their baby for at least a year, so they have a lot of personal experience in a lot of seasons of breastfeeding, and it's something they're going to be personally familiar with. And then they've gone through a credentialing process um, to be accre- to become accredited, and so. Um, we work really hard to make sure that our leaders know accurate information and have communication skills to be supportive and validating um, when people are struggling or just when they're enjoying it and they don't, I mean, who else can you brag about little successes um, to? but, but your, your friends in your, in a breastfeeding community group like La Leche League will absolutely get it and will affirm your successes. I, in fact, the, I'm one of the admins for the Leger League for Mothers of Twins and Multiples online on Facebook. And uh we had we had a post just recently where someone had spilled some expressed milk for their preterm baby. And there were so many people chiming in saying, Oh my goodness, whoever said you shouldn't cry over spilled milk doesn't even get this. They've they've never been a pumping NICU mom. And it it was just an example of community and validation and that's something that La Leche League provides that I think is hard to find elsewhere. Even with, even if you find clinical help, it's, it's not necessarily the same. Sometimes the support is what you need. And I, I just want to repeat that all La Leche League support is always free and friendly. The, any La Leche League leader in the world will try to help you if you call or email. Um, but finding one that's local to you may be more useful just because they'll be familiar with resources that are local to you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. I don't want to get too deep into this, but I do want, if you wouldn't mind, touching on the difference between the training that a pediatrician has versus even a La League leader. This is something that I like. I've personally dealt with this, but I know that this is. We take our babies to our pediatricians and we talk to them about any issues that we're having, and breastfeeding comes up a lot. Um, and oftentimes they have an ideas for us that may or may not be helpful. Can Will you just touch on that for a
2: second, the importance of that? So I can't speak for every pediatric training program, because that's not something that I have personally been through. Um, However, we have a couple of pediatricians who have been our clients at Motherfed, and they have told us that a lactation class was an elective in their programs, that there was a single class that focused on lactation at all, and it was an elective that many of their potential colleagues opted out of. So even though there was a basic nutrition class that touched on lactation and breastfeeding, um, anything more in depth was only an elective and only a single class. And that surprised me. It has helped me to understand the scope of pediatricians and their background to remember that pediatricians are experts in promoting the the normal growth and development of babies and children and um, preventing and treating Uh, disease and other challenges so that can happen in a lot of different ways we can like for disease prevention and control and treatment I absolutely defer to a pediatrician but the IBCLC is an infant feeding specialist so if you need clinical care for an infant feeding question that's actually not your disease prevention person or even your um Regular growth promotion, your growth and human development person. That's that's an infant feeding specialist. Now, a lactating leader needs to have nursed her baby for at least a year, and um, we have a whole series of of books and things that she needs to have read to become familiar with what is current in lactation and breastfeeding information. And then usually there is um, a communication program also to go through so that she can learn basic counseling skills and, and how to communicate with, with people. The difference I would say is that a pediatrician will often try to solve breastfeeding problems by breaking the system. Like if a, if a, a nursing dyad comes to a pediatrician and says, this baby's not gaining weight very well, and my nipples are super sore it's easy for a pediatrician or really any other less experienced breastfeeding supporter to say, I have an idea. Why don't you stop breastfeeding and feed with formula or even with express milk? And then they say, look at that. Magically your nipples don't hurt anymore and your baby's gaining weight. I solved the problem. Well, you solved the problem, but you kind of interfered with the system and a Leche league leader's job is to be able to offer information and support so that mothers can make the decisions that are best for their families. Um, And then IBCLC's job is even one step further to maximize and preserve normal infant feeding even through challenges. To be able to say, what's that your baby's not gaining and your nipples are sore? Let's address the root of that problem so that we can help you continue your actual breastfeeding relationship with, with being comfortable and having your baby gain properly.
0: Thank you for taking time to go over that. Uh, if you want to now, I think that everybody would love to hear about how to take on that first week of breastfeeding.
2: Uh, um, let's see, I have a few thoughts. My very favorite tips about breastfeeding. I think that when people give birth in a hospital, they are often told to keep their baby on a three hour schedule. And one thing I would want to remind expectant or newly postpartum families is that that three-hour schedule suggestion is not based in biology, but instead it is based on a 12-hour hospital staff schedule. Um, They need to be able to make sure that everyone in their care is fed and tended and charted before their staff changes at, tw- at the 12 hour mark. And doing things every three hours helps them accommodate that. But in reality, the human baby needs to eat quite a lot more often than every three hours. So I'm often telling new families that um, babies don't do long division and um, their feedings are not necessarily evenly spaced. If you aim for 10 to 12 nursing sessions in 24 hours, while recognizing that they won't be necessarily evenly spaced, you will be much better positioned to avoid engorgement, to keep your baby's blood sugar levels stable, to promote the onset of lactation and that hormonal shift from pregnancy to lactation, um, and just overall have a better start to your breastfeeding relationship. And and be more in tune with your baby as you learn to watch your baby and not the clock. Other things to consider when you start with your breastfeeding relationship are related to positioning. I feel like sometimes I do boppy intervention and help moms who are crunched over their babies on a nursing pillow, um, hunching over with lots of tension in their neck and shoulder, trying to bring their breast to their baby. It, everything goes much better when you realize that you are actually your baby's favorite pillow. And um, a boppy or any other kind of nursing pillow is there for your comfort. It's there to support your elbows, but you are your baby's pillow. So if you can tip back and maximize body contact with your baby and make sure that your baby's ear, shoulder, and hip are in a straight line across your body, um, your baby will be better aligned to be able to comfortably latch um, without feeling like they're sliding off a cliff. Sometimes families will lay their baby on, the, on a nursing pillow and then the baby will have to turn their head to latch. And nobody wants to eat that way. Like if you try to turn your head over your shoulder and have a sip of water, you just can't do it because you're out of alignment. You want to keep everything straight um, to, to properly eat. And babies are no different. They want positional stability against you. They want to be properly aligned um, so that they can latch comfortably. And um, they also want their chin to be able to be in contact with breast tissue. I think that's something that, that we overlook quite a lot. Having the chin rest against um, breast tissue helps trigger baby's reflex to open their mouth and really give a good gape. Um, where And then mom can roll her breast tissue into baby's mouth much more easily. If we try to put something directly in baby's mouth without any of that chin contact, they will act like they can't find it. And they'll move their heads back and forth and, and wave around a little bit. And you'll have conversations with your baby like, it's right there, just take it. Well, if they don't have their chin anchored against breast tissue, they can't, they can't take it. They're not, they're not totally set up and stable to take the breast yet at all. Um, finally, one of my other tips for the early days to help you build confidence, because breastfeeding is in fact a confidence game, is to keep a log of nursing sessions and, uh, diaper output and anything else that you want to keep track of over the first few days. Because those, those early weeks of being postpartum are just such a blur. Uh, we hardly know what day it is. And keeping track can help you know at a glance uh, what's going on. It can help you feel confident and it can also help you identify a problem. Um, we have offered a free printable log from Mother Fed um, as, as our gift to your listeners. It's similar to ones that we have distributed to our clients, but this one is actually updated and customized um, just for this podcast. I find that a printed paper I know some people will find it kind of retro in this time of apps but I like a printed paper on the kitchen table because it's easier for helpers to jump in and circle and make notes even if mom is on the sofa nursing the baby with her hands full someone else can also help with log keeping and take note of things too and then it's easy to see the whole picture at once it's easy to show the midwife or the pediatrician and it's a really fun keepsake um, in preparation for this discussion, I looked back at a couple of the keepsakes that I have hung on to with my children, and I, uh, I noticed that my teen sons seem to have fallen back into their newborn eating patterns during this time of social <laughs> distancing, and when they can just drift through the kitchen at any hour, and I thought, well, I guess they, they kind of have reverted to, to having snacks 8 to 12 times a day, not necessarily evenly spaced, So the notes that I kept in their very new days seem almost prophetic and funny to me now. Um, But I think that that, that a log like that is a huge confidence booster and a very simple way to assess if you're actually having trouble or if you're having an exhausted moment.
0: Great. And yes, thank you so much for providing that. Um, For everyone that is listening, we'll make sure to have all of the links that we've talked about for Lelechi League um, and the PDF as well within the show notes for the podcast on the website. So you'll head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash podcast Scroll down to this podcast. So if you click on that and scroll all the way to the bottom, there will be all the links for you just ready within the show notes. All right. So we actually got, we put out a question sticker on Instagram um, and we got a bunch of questions back of what women wanted to know in regards to breastfeeding. Honestly, most of the questions that came up are things that you just answered. So it's, what do I do those first couple of days, the first 48 hours, all of that. Along with that, I think something that we get asked a lot is how do I know when my milk comes in? Um, and what do I do until then? So would you take a
2: moment to touch um, on yeah, that? Yeah, that's that is that is a tricky time. I, I actually think that particularly in our culture, women are programmed to express their love by feeding people around us. And that is never as amplified as it is when you have a brand new baby in your lap and you're trying to learn to breastfeed. Um you I mean, you, you feel like you've, your heart has just exited your body and is now sitting in your lap and you want to feed it and um, you want to make sure that that's going well. I think focusing on nursing at least 10 times per 24 hours is key. We know that small frequent feedings are the biological norm. Um, we know from anthropology that there's two kinds of mammals. There's the kind of mammals that um, are cache mammals. That's like C-A-C-H-E. Um, mammals that will leave their babies in a nest while they go off for hours to find food and then come back periodically. And then there's carry mammals that carry their babies around and their babies nurse frequently. And humans are carry mammals. Our milk is formulated so that um, small frequent feedings are the biological norm. And that's what promotes weight gain and stable blood sugar and optimal brain development. So frequent feedings are key, even in those first couple of days. Now it can feel kind of counterintuitive because colostrum is only produced teaspoonfuls at a time. So when you look at it, it feels like, well, that's not enough. That's not a meal. But remember your baby is small. And most of the time we do not eat to capacity. I know that there's lots of discussion about the capacity of a newborn stomach or anybody's stomach. But remember that newborn babies are not this, the stomachs of newborn babies are not very stretchy. They're, they're brand new. They're not broken in. Our, as adults, our stomachs are super stretchy from years of overeating at Thanksgiving. Um, but theirs are not. Theirs are brand new. And um, so small frequent feedings are, absolutely are adequate if they're often. We don't need to have Thanksgiving dinner every meal. We don't need to stuff our babies. But consistently feeding regularly absolutely is key. Um you can if your baby is not latching well or you're having trouble getting started or you're feeling anxious, you can hand express some colostrum into a clean spoon and ask your hospital nurse or your, your doula or your midwife for a clean syringe to suck up some of that colostrum and syringe feed your baby some of that colostrum. Um that can be a way to help feel confident as you start to work on your latch and make sure that, that baby is in fact transferring. That colostrum and, and promoting the the shift from pregnancy to lactation that will bring in your milk. Um, your milk is all always there; it just increases in volume. So it's the colostrum production actually is part of the onset of lactation, but around day three or four, it, uh, milk production increases dramatically in volume, and that's when you start to see mature milk that looks um, white instead of golden like honey. So that's, that's pretty typical there. And that's a time when it's really easy to self-sabotage and, um, and, and overfeed a baby with something else. But, uh, but it may not be necessary. And particularly when you're facing things like uh, jaundice with a baby, uh, frequent feeding is key because the most effective way to clear out that excess bilirubin is stooling. And colostrum and human milk contain natural laxative properties that will promote stooling and moving that out. And so um, once again, frequent nursing becomes the appropriate answer.
0: Um, Something that had, it's come up within our birth group and also on on Instagram with our followers. And I kind of um, alluded a little to this in the beginning Mm -hmm. with the COVID-19 and maybe some disagreements or, or here and there, you mentioned expressing colostrum into a clean spoon and offering it through a syringe to the baby. So something that we're seeing with some of these moms, whether or not they test positive or not, or have symptoms or not for COVID-19, some hospitals with some of their personal policies are still separating mom and baby and not allowing, at least the the verbiage is that they're not allowing moms to um, give their breast milk to their babies. Now, we've gone a little bit on and on about the World Health Organization, the CDC, mm-hmm. and their recommendations, which, it, as far as we understand, is to allow Absolutely. mom to breastfeed. Um, yes. So with these women that are coming up against that, is it kind of just back to, these are shots that work for me, and this is, I just wonder, I don't want women to feel like they have to push too far, but I want them to have Yeah. A so is
2: your question like, what can, what can a mother do if she's being confronted with policies that that feel unsupportive of breastfeeding right after she's given birth that was a beautiful way to put so it yes. I think, i think <laughs> saying so i think exactly saying that saying i really i want to i expect to breastfeed my baby and i feel like your policy is not supporting breastfeeding i feel really discouraged right now what what can we do to find some middle ground i understand that you're concerned about um virus transfer and you want to keep all of us safe um what can we do my understanding is that the World Health Organization and the CDC are recommending that nursing mothers wear masks and have extra clean hands, and I'm willing to accommodate um, all of those hygiene protocols, but I, I don't see a reason to interfere with a breastfeeding relationship. And I think when 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 you say things like that, I think that people will tend to find loopholes for whatever policy there might be. You're you're much especially Mm -hmm. saying it really directly like that. You're not being combative. You're just being matter of fact. Like, hey, I'm really disappointed. Like, I just had a baby and this is my baby and this is how I want to feed my baby. And my understanding is your facility is really supportive of the normal way of feeding babies. Um, How can we accommodate that even in these complicated times? And we'll, I'll make sure to um, put
0: the CDC and the World Health Organization. I'll put those links in the show notes for everyone listening as well, just so that you can, yeah. So that you can brush up on your verbiage, because I think if you can bring it to them, just like you said, oh, well, I looked at, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take upon a, a these extra precautions and you name the precautions that you're very aware of. Then I think it brings some clarity.
2: I understand that your job is to mitigate risk here. And I appreciate so much that you want to keep me and my baby safe from illness. I. I'm glad to collaborate with you on that. How can we do that together?
0: Okay, I have two more questions for you. So this was another one that came up quite a bit, and that is, what's the best like between breast, bottle, um, pumping? Like, at, at, how do I gauge that? What do I do with that? I think moms just want to know, um, is the hair? I think, <laughs> I think something that came up was like, is like at what time am I supposed to introduce this, or is feeding from the breast better than the bottle and why i know i just kind of threw like a loaded like five questions at you so feel free to organize that information and respond how you want but those questions about pumping and bottle feeding no i love it i think it
2: i think it shows a lot of thoughtfulness and um a lot of determination and desire for families to make choices that accommodate a wide variety of circumstances and and realities um So I tend to focus, and even all of the IBCLCs at Motherfed tend to focus on the fact that breastfeeding is normal infant feeding. Um, We don't speak of it as being better or best ever. You'll never hear us say like breast is best. I know that was a popular slogan many years ago, but that's not something that we say because for us, breastfeeding is just normal. It's the biological norm. Um, Babies typically arrive programmed to breastfeed. Um, it's how they expect to be fed. So in recent years, even though our appreciation for human milk has increased dramatically, um, the realities of our lives have not necessarily become more supportive of breastfeeding relationships. Um, Nursing parents are still employed and we have stuff to do and there's schedules to keep and places to go. And so increasingly the focus of Uh, breastfeeding culture in the United States has been focused a lot on, on pumping. And that's what I think makes a lot of people wonder, like, well, should I just pump and feed my baby from a bottle? Um, And that may be um, a choice that maximizes normalcy for a baby who's facing challenges. For example, um, a very preterm baby or a medically fragile baby um, or a baby with a cleft palate that, that needs lots of help and doesn't always latch and transfer well at the breast. Pumping and feeding may be an ideal way to maximize normalcy in complicated circumstances. Um, But actually breastfeeding is in fact the biological norm. And something I think about quite often um, is that an artificial nipple does not change shape ever the way a nursing parent's breast tissue does um, in the baby's mouth. And we know that part of breastfeeding is um, the delivery of calories and nutrition, but it also, the very act of suckling and breastfeeding helps with normal oral facial development. So it helps promote um, that palate growing nice and flat and wide, um, the jaw growing nice and wide instead of narrow and pointed. And this accommodates normal dentition, normal airway. Uh, normal swallowing for a lifetime. So as we talk about lactation and breastfeeding, it's important to recognize that the fluid is marvelous stuff, but the act of latching and suckling at the breast is also part of the biological norm and has immense value. Okay, with
0: what you just said in mind, Um, I know that myself and Courtney, a lot of us um, people that are within the birth community, I'm sure you've seen it as well. Um, We've been
2: seeing these big fed is best. Will you talk a little bit about Um, that? I hear it a lot, too. And it's almost always said by really well-meaning people who want to be supportive. Um, I know that fed is best has become a popular pithy thing to say that, you know, it almost rhymes and it's brief and catchy. And like I said, most folks who are saying this um, are really well-intentioned and believe they are being supportive of mothers however they choose to feed their babies. Um, I think fed is best is meant to be kind of a retort to the expression that breast is best. But as I just said, that's not something you'll ever hear me say because I do not see breastfeeding as better than anything else. It's just normal. Um, When we talk about breastfeeding as like AP, honors level infant feeding, it's easy for families to feel really defeated when they hit challenges um, instead of seeking help and support to maximize normalcy and, and see how, how they can ex- extend and improve their breastfeeding relationship. It's easy to say, oh, well, that didn't work out. I can't do honors level. I'll just be regular. And that's not how I think anyone should feel about caring for their baby, um, especially not through breastfeeding. I think um, that my problem with the expression fed is best is that it implies that it does not matter what we feed our babies and children. And we know that it does matter. And I think that fed is best also implies that we are choosing between feeding babies and not feeding babies. And in reality, we are never, ever considering not feeding babies. Fed is not best or better than anything, fed is the bare minimum of expected infant care. Um, we are always making sure that babies are fed, and we, as IBCLCs, we are always working to make sure that babies are fed in a biologically normal way um, as their circumstances permit. Um, in our practice at Mother Fed, we talk quite a lot about how informed is best. And that's something that I think actually can be measured. We can speak about it on like a, a good, better, best scale. When, when a family knows all their options and has good support, they can actually make choices about how they want to care for their babies. And if you hit challenges, you can collaborate and make a care plan that maximizes normalcy instead of feeling like everything is falling apart or second guessing yourself and imagining that your goals were not realistic. Um, So I encourage all babies to learn all, sorry, of course I encourage babies, but I encourage all families to learn as much as they can and Mm -hmm. seek excellent experience support so that they can be really informed and choose what works best for their family. And we don't need to be dismissive of other people's challenges and very real trials and discouragements but neither do we need to be dismissive of the reality that what we feed our babies does in fact matter. Okay. The final question that we wanted to
0: hit with you with is, um and this came up a lot too, and I feel like it comes up all the time and it makes me sad and crazy all at once because I feel like I went through this same cycle as well. But I, I think anytime we've got like a fussy or a colicky baby and we're breastfeeding, everyone or a lot of people, I feel like give the information back to mom. <laughs> oh, you have got to cut dairy, cut yes. out chicken, cut out, like start like, eating nothing except yes. for rice. You know what I mean? Um, so what do you have to
2: say about that? Cause
0: that is so stressful as a new mom. You're like, I am just trying to do my best. And then you feel like you just have to eliminate. Yes. Everything. I think
2: that's a pretty common reaction and something that, um, we hear more Than we want to, I feel like, particularly in our culture, again, I keep coming back to our culture, but there are, in fact, a lot of cultural nuances that influence our attitudes towards parenting, mothering, breastfeeding, um, caring for infants in general. And I feel like there's very, because our American culture is so bad at validating people's feelings that we have a lot of walking wounded, whether it's from (laughs) their birth experience or complicated breastfeeding experiences or other disappointments they people are walking around with with grief and trauma that they're carrying around and it's never been properly validated so we have a culture of mothering as martyrdom and that that plays into <laughs> this idea of elimination diets so your milk is not made from your gut it's made from your blood and i know that it's it's easy to think of, especially when you're in an exhausted postpartum stupor, to imagine that if you eat a burrito, that there's some like extra magical pipes that go straight from your mouth into your breast, and you know, a few hours later you are producing burrito milk. Um, but I swear it doesn't work that way.) Um, you eat a burrito and your body breaks it down and metabolizes it and takes the nutrients there in your bloodstream and your body's using what it needs to. And some of those nutrients get sorted out and put into your milk as your body makes milk from your blood. So the vast majority of the time nursing parents can eat whatever foods they enjoy while breastfeeding with no ill effects to their baby nursling. Um, I think that we have a culture of wanting to make things harder than they actually are. And um, again, that motherhood is martyrdom. And, and also wanting to do a really good job, being really, really devoted mothers. Um, we're going to give it everything we've got, even if we have to suffer through it. And so that's when we start to get into the attitude of, well, I can't, I can't have any cheese and I can't have any ice cream and I can't have any dairy at all or any chocolate or any broccoli or any wine, or any coffee, or any fun, and um, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. accurate. Now, every nursing parent is the expert on their own baby, and so different people's mileage may vary, but generally speaking, you can eat whatever you want while you're breastfeeding, and most of those details are, um, are folk knowledge. Um, watch your own baby and see how things go. But for the most part, you can enjoy whatever you like. Even in babies with a complicated family history of food sensitivities, chasing down a food sensitivity in an infant is a bit of a moving target just because development is so rapid and constant in those first couple of years. So if you find that your baby is really sad and fussy and crabby, and I have had this experience. This was part of what my young, my oldest son was hospitalized for was some gastrointestinal issues related to um, our family history of dairy problems. Um, I should say protein allergies. Um, So I have personal experience and bias here too. But even in the most sensitive babies, there's usually what we call um, an allergic threshold where your baby might not complain at all if you have like one yogurt in the morning. But if you have three slices of cheese pizza and a milkshake, you might have a crabby baby. And I would also bet that you don't feel (laughs) that great either. So so (laughs) we there was once, this is with my third son, when I my husband had brought some home some really delicious cookies from a work party for me. And um, I'm sure he imagined that they were gonna last more than a day, but because it was a whole box. Um, (laughs) you know, but he hit me when I was hungry and had them on the counter and they were just delicious and I made some comment like, oh, these cookies don't agree with me and the baby. Like it's the baby's fussy and I feel terrible. And he's like, well, you know, there might be a number between four and 14 that you were supposed to stop at. But what do I know? And he's like, maybe it's user (laughs) error, but I don't know. And we, we, I scowled at him, but he was exactly right. It was, there's a threshold of, of what's appropriate. But if you find yourself in this, I would tell anybody who finds themselves in that situation of second guessing their diet, like they have a fussy baby and they don't know what to do. There's a million things to troubleshoot before adding huge inconvenience to your life. You don't need to make things more complicated for you, especially at a time when you're trying to heal and stay well nourished. You don't necessarily, that's not the time to make your diet more complicated when there may in fact be other things going on um, that you can address in your breastfeeding relationship that are much simpler than, um, than stripping your diet down to bone broth and rice.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I feel like that one comes up a ton. Yeah. I see it a lot too. And I see
2: it, I truly, I see it in the most devoted parents. They're so determined and so devoted. And um, I just encourage them to reach out for, for really excellent support and troubleshooting options that, that don't involve compromising their convenience and nutrition because food is much more than fuel for us. It, it absolutely is community and comfort. And especially during the healing season of postpartum, we need to be well nourished and we need to be fed in happy ways.
0: All right, will you tell everyone? This has been so wonderful, and I just really it's my appreciate pleasure. your time and your expertise. Will you tell everyone where they can find you if they want to get in touch with you for breastfeeding help or yes. more information so about what you do? Yes, so my
2: website is motherfed.net, and we offer uh, private consultations, and in typical times, we offer group clinics as well. Um, Right now, we are offering HIPAA-compliant telehealth consultations and follow-up online group meetings, and um, we are happy to offer ongoing support for all of our clients. I am really proud of Motherfed as a practice, how thorough we are with our clients' medical history, how experienced all four of us are. Um, and how how much we value every client that comes through our door or rings our phone we we're invested in your success and helping you meet whatever goals you have set for yourself and we are well connected um, in that we have uh, contacts and friends all over the country and even internationally to help put people in touch with high quality resources that can support them in Uh, in their breastfeeding relationship and maximizing normalcy through any challenges that they may face. So, yep, all my contact information is at motherfed.net. You can contact us with a message through the website or um, leave a message uh, at our office phone, which we'll, we'll get in return to you promptly. And with four of us on staff, we can usually help anyone who calls within 24 hours. We're also on Instagram as well. And so we love new followers. We try to post Um, interesting art and um, other beautiful things about the nursing relationship. So we hope we get to see you there too. Wow, that's great. Thank you.
0: Okay, And I haven't mentioned this, but if you guys like listening to (laughs) Sally, then you will love seeing her within the birth course. So um, if you are not in there already, it's myessentialbirth.com. You click get started. You can jump in there. We've got an entire section on breastfeeding and Sally's in there with her beautiful face telling us all the things. Um, on top of that, as she mentioned, Mother Fed was nice enough to create a PDF for you guys to keep that nursing log, which she said is one of the main things that you can do during that first week of breastfeeding to help you be successful. So make sure to hit the show notes and download the free PDF from them as well. And then here at My Essential Birth, we're really excited to offer you guys as a giveaway this week the Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, yes, which is a book. Is it by the Letty
2: Week edition? Is just fantastic. This most recent update has made it truly my very favorite layperson's resource for a breastfeeding relationship and it is in fact my personal go-to baby shower gift the index is great and it is organized by developmental stage so whatever question you might have you don't necessarily have to read through the entire 300 page book to find what you're looking for and then if you're really nerdy (laughs) the very back of the book has a fabulous index and citations of all the research that went into making that book. So this is uh, breastfeeding without any speculative magic. This is all the, the, the marvelous science behind the biological norm of nursing your baby.
0: Yeah, and it's, I think it's
2: great because we spend so much time
0: which I think we should preparing for this birth that's coming on. And if we're not breastfeeding yet, I mean, what can you do? You can't practice breastfeeding until you have a baby. And so I think it's just great. Like you yes. said, to have something on hand that you can pull from just another an extra resource middle that's of the an night and just choice. being able to look that up. So um, we'll be giving that away this week. And in order to, get your free copy of The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding. We'll be giving away one. Make sure that you leave us a review on iTunes and then send us either a DM or an email. And you can send that to hello at myessentialbirth.com or on our Instagram at myessentialbirth. And just give us your name, um, the one that you used in order to create that review. And we will put everybody into a drawing and announce it on Instagram later this week. Um, I do want to take a moment and just say, thank you again. This has been so much fun and I love chatting with you and obviously about breastfeeding. I think that you are a wealth of information well, and I know women are just going to go crazy over I, this
2: episode. So um, you. Human lactation is all I think about besides maybe what's for dinner. So it, it, it really is my pleasure to visit <laughs> with you, Stephanie, and with your listeners. And, um, I wish everyone the very best in their mothering and parenting and nursing journey.
1: All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes.
0: And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you.